Part one, substitutes. Substitutes is not always, you know, having substitute teachers is not always a super interesting topic, not something everyone always wants to talk about. But as we're considering reopening schools uh, in August and September, something that everyone who works in schools or who has children who will be attending schools, something we all must consider is the availability of substitutes and how we can make sure that we have adequate adult supervision in schools. Notice how I just say adult supervision. Sometimes when we think about hiring substitutes, we're not always worried about top-level instruction. Sometimes we kind of just need a warm body who happens to be responsible, reasonable, and can deal with students of whatever age group. For me, I teach high school, so that's where I'm going to focus most of this discussion, but this is going to be equally important at every grade level. As we think about reopening schools, we have to keep in mind the reality that as COVID-19 continues to spread, our staff, our faculty will get sick. Now, how many of these teachers will actually be infected? We don't know. Original estimates were 40 to 60% of the population would ultimately be infected. However, a lot of people are asymptomatic or really just end up with sort of mild symptoms, something like a a cold or, or a mild flu. Even in the event of a mild flu, Even in the event of mild symptoms overall, what we're probably going to be dealing with is a lot of testing. One of the most important factors for reopening anything, schools, businesses, government offices, parks, anything else, is the availability of adequate testing, and then, of course, the availability of adequate medical services through your hospitals, uh, doctor's offices, etc. As we think about opening schools, we're going to have to be prepared to test and retest people because, say, at a school like where I work at, we have, uh, you know, 17, 1800 kids. That's a lot of students in and out. We have a, a faculty of around 150 people. That's not even counting your custodial staff and the other support people in and out of the buildings. You have a lot of people in a relatively tight space. Now, I've heard a lot of talk about staggered schedules, decreasing class sizes, things like that. All of that's great and all of those things that we need to or things we need to consider and I may address on a future podcast. But for now, what are we going to do when teachers get sick? Even if the numbers are lower than the original estimates we were hearing a month ago, you know, may, may turn out to be, we still have to think, how do we make sure that we have teachers in the room or at least responsible adults? So I did a little quick and, and very informal research, and I, I came up with some basic numbers. It appears as though, you know, nationwide, the average pay for a substitute teacher is somewhere around 12 to $13 per hour. Well, that varies a little bit. I also saw numbers that said that the average daily pay for a substitute at nationwide is eighty to ninety dollars a day. Where I work, it's around a hundred. And if you are actually a licensed teacher or someone who holds a teaching license, the number is a little bit higher than that. But still, that may not be enough. Now, may not be enough. What does that mean? It means that already many places in the country have difficulty hiring enough substitutes. It's just not a job that a lot of people want because the work is not always consistent. It's not always regular. And if we're being honest, when you're in the building, you're not always treated well, certainly not by students and sometimes not even by staff. And that's really a school issue, a school culture issue that maybe we can address separately. But consider the average pay, just for the sake of this conversation, let's say it's $90 a day. And that might even be a little bit high, but let's say subs are getting paid $90 per day. If most of your substitute teachers are older people, 
And in my experience, most subs are. You know, you have a lot of sort of college-age kids, young people just looking for work or who are pursuing a teaching degree. But the majority of the substitutes that I see are people in their 50s and 60s. There are a lot of retired teachers who come back in because you make a few bucks, you, you get to be in the building, you talk with kids, blah, blah, blah. But if there's a significant chance that you're going to be exposed to a serious illness while you're there, is $90 a day worth the risk? When the primary population that serves as substitutes are already a high-risk group, is $90 a day going to be enough? Even if we move forward, say where I teach, where the number's even a little higher than that, we're understaffed. We're understaffed for this situation. I've heard multiple plans, um, both from talking to individuals who work in schools throughout the state of Virginia and a few other places. I've also seen this in articles from the New York Times, from the Atlantic, from a dozen publications, that a lot of people are saying one of the best things that we can do is decrease class sizes and possibly work on a staggered schedule to you know, keep down the total number of students in a school. They are also saying that they may try to create a situation, especially younger, you know, younger grade levels, middle schools where you're working in teams, where students will stay in one room and the teachers will rotate. Think about how difficult that is for the substitute to keep track of the rotations, the materials, to take all of these things with you. We're going to have to furnish carts. We're going to have to. It's going to be a mess. It's a logistical nightmare. And this is one of the reasons that. I'm glad a lot of school systems are already starting to plan and prepare. But one thing I haven't heard a lot of discussion about is what are we going to do if or when teachers get sick? Would you risk catching coronavirus for a part-time job that pays you $90 a day and where you're probably not being treated great or having a lot of fun at work? That's a tough sell, right? That's that's a really tough sell. Now, how can we improve this? What, what can the approach be? Well, my first recommendation is that school systems should be hiring substitutes now. Unemployment rates are through the roof. We're seeing the highest rates of unemployment in the history of the United States, or at least since we've been keeping track. More people have filed for unemployment in the last few weeks than during the Great Depression, right? So clearly there are people who are going to need work. But a lot of these people are going to be returning to jobs in the next few weeks or the next month or two. Now, not everyone will, so unfortunately, some people are going to be out of work. One of the things we need to be doing is both helping those people to find work, but also helping schools to have qualified and safe, responsible adults who can oversee the classes when teachers are out. So if I were, you know, God forbid, if I were to test positive for COVID-19, I'm assuming that I'm going to be forced to take 14, you know, calendar days worth of leave. So that's probably something in the in the range of around 10 sick days. Now, there are federal programs that adjust, you know, your leave and guarantee you time off and things like that. But regardless of my ability to take leave with or without pay, who's going to be in the room? Who's going to show up when they know that the last teacher that worked in that room was infected with this illness? And then you're going to pay them $90 a day. We're going to need to hire more subs. We may need to pay them more. Most schools should be looking into hiring full-time substitutes, not as a part-time job. We should be looking to hire someone who is assigned to a building, and they're just there all the time. A school my size will probably need five substitutes minimum full-time. You're just always going to be there. There's always going to be a class to cover. We also might need to consider options like increasing class sizes. I know everyone's saying decrease class sizes, but consider if we use spaces like the cafeteria, 
like the library, like the auditorium, like the gymnasium, where you can actually create space between students, there's nothing that would stop me as an English teacher from standing on the stage or in the front of the room and teaching 50 or 70 or 90 kids all at one time, right? And it still keeps six feet between all of them. If you put them in the classrooms, we're going to be really, really, really hard up both for space and for staffing. I'm going to address pay coming up here, but if if we already have concerns about hiring enough teachers, if some parts of the country are looking at decreasing their staffs, we're looking at reductions in force, furloughs, things like that, how are you actually going to decrease class size? You're not. Let's be honest. You're not going to decrease the class size if you can't actually pay anyone to show up and do the job. So we need to consider... Can we increase the class size, therefore decreasing the number of teachers you would actually need? Now, I'm not suggesting that we actually get rid of teachers. I'm just saying that if one teacher from every department in a high school needs a few days off or needs two weeks off, what are you going to do with those other kids? What are you going to do when you don't have enough substitutes? We are about to be facing a substitute crisis nationwide. And if we don't start hiring now, training now, and making good plans now, that's going to be a problem. One of the other things that I'd like to address with this is the need for blended learning. Now, I'm not a blended learning you know, advocate, so to speak. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the platform necessarily. But uh, for those who are less familiar, I'm going to do a bad job of defining this. And, and hopefully someone listening can do a better job. And, and you can comment or send me an email, let me know. Blended learning is essentially the idea that students can blend an online or independent learning experience, usually through you know computer, personal inquiry, etc., and then the traditional class setting with projects, with group discussions, and things like that. Blended learning can work really well if you do it right. Unfortunately, a lot of teachers have not been adequately trained in it. I would be one of those people. I understand the concept. I've dabbled in it a little bit here and there in the past. It's not something that I do particularly well, mostly because it's not something I've ever wanted to do well. But I'm now considering I really need to jump on board because I need to be able to create plans that can be made two, three, and four weeks in advance. I need to be able to create a timeline and stick to it and create the opportunity for students to still be learning, even if I'm not in the room. Now, this is going to sound terrible, especially in the current situation of a pandemic, but I generally believe that I am better than any sub in almost any situation. Me at 40% is better than almost every sub at 100%. So unless I am dying, I just go to work. Now, that's a terrible thing because obviously you don't want to risk getting anyone else sick. And if I know that I'm not feeling well, I do my best not to handle students' materials to keep my distance, etc. That's not going to be an option in the fall. One, because when people actually are sick with COVID-19 and are experiencing full symptoms, the, the fatigue, from what I understand, is horrible, right? The, the, the body aches, the whole thing. You're not going to be at work. You're not going to be able to handle your business. So what am I going to do if I can't do my traditional sub plans, which are read this thing, write a response, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can't do that for two weeks straight. Students are going to need to continue to make progress without you there. And you're going to need to have something in place that doesn't require you to update those plans every day or two, especially if you end up requiring hospitalization or, or something else. Maybe even someone in your family is ill, and so your time is going into caring for them. Hey, I can't be updating subplans every two days. Blended learning is something that we all need to embrace, at least in the short term. Now, this is one of the things that is going to force a long-term change in schools. I talked before on a previous episode about how I thought that school closures and the COVID-19 pandemic was going to create a lot of opportunities for progress and change in schools. 
I have been largely disappointed by the amount of change, the, the amount of innovative thinking that I've really seen coming from upper-level administration and school boards. I don't mean to criticize my own upper administration or anyone else's specifically. I think everyone's doing the best they can. But I also think that we're doing a lot of things that are really about being safe and being cautious. You know, Don't get sued. Pass the kids. Justify your paycheck. Make sure some educational op- you know, opportunities are available. But, you know, it it varies place to place. But this is not really what online school should be. This is not what homeschool should be. And this is certainly not what blended learning should be because we're not creating those opportunities for students to engage and discuss. Something that all teachers, especially all the core class teachers, need to be preparing for for next year is implementing blended learning into the classroom so that you as the teacher are no longer the focal point in the class. Now, some people say, whoa, 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 it should always be about the students. The student, It should be student-centered. And that's right. That's absolutely true. But if we're being honest about what's going on in a lot of classrooms across the country, the teacher still occupies a big chunk of the time. The teacher is responsible for a large portion of content delivery. And we need to rethink that just because the teacher may not be there all the time. God forbid we end up having, you know, another spike in infections and we have to close down or move online again. That's a whole separate can of worms. That's not even something we need to deal with right now. Let's pretend we're going to be in school for the entire year. What happens if throughout the year, 40% of the staff is infected? That's a very real number, 40%. That could happen. Even if you aren't experiencing severe symptoms, if you are sick, if you are carrying the illness and you test positive, you're going to be staying home. What are your students going to do? We need something that's going to allow students to continue to learn. And so blended learning is going to be essential to help everybody get through at least the next school year to make sure we can maintain some continuity for students, to keep the educational process alive, to keep progress going. And it also means that it's going to be a little bit easier for the substitutes I started off talking about. When blended learning is already something going on in the classroom, it's so much easier for the substitute to show up, to run through a simple plan where they do a quick introduction, students work independently, and then you oversee a discussion or help students to run through some sort of inquiry, project, presentation, etc. If we're not doing the blended learning piece, if the teacher is still responsible for delivering the content, what's that substitute going to do? You cannot trust that a substitute is going to show up and be qualified to deliver content or to provide quality feedback. Even if you have a person who is a, a good substitute, who's taught the class before, we get someone who can teach the class. Very few substitutes want to be responsible for grading, and I have never met a substitute who is interested in grading essays. I have never, once in a while you get some multiple choice, I've never met a substitute who wanted to be grading essays unless it was a long-term sub who was there for a long period of time, several weeks, several months, and they were being paid extra for it. So if we already have the concern that we don't have enough subs, we're not sure if we're going to be able to hire them, we're not sure that we're going to be able to pay them. We also need to make sure that we have things in the classroom that they can actually do, which is going to require emphasis on blended learning, on students working independently utilizing and leveraging every piece of technology and software available because the teacher is not always going to be in the room. And unless we're prepared to use my other, you know, offering there, the other plan of increasing the class sizes and putting everyone into larger rooms, more space between the students, unless we're going to put one teacher in with 50 to 100 students and let it run that way, then we really need to be considerate of how students can keep learning if their core teachers are going to be out for two weeks at a time. 
the number one concern that I have thinking about what we do in the fall is not about how do we arrange the desks in the classroom. It's not about how do we run a bell schedule so you don't have too many kids bump into each other in hallways. It's not how do we get enough hand sanitizer and tissues. Look, these are all valid concerns. But the reality is even if you do those things well, if this virus is still passing through the population and you put 1,500 to 2,000 people in a school, they're going to be in contact. They're going to be sharing materials. You are not going to be able to avoid basic human contact and interaction. Some, some schools don't have rooms and hallways big enough to create those situations anyway. And that means that we have to be prepared to handle the problems of adults not being, not being there. We obviously need to be concerned with and prioritize student health. That's the first issue, of course. But the numbers indicate that relatively few people under the age of 10 and, and you know, also relatively few people between 10 and 20 have any significant problems with this illness. Relatively few are infected. Of the ones who are infected, most are asymptomatic or only deal with mild symptoms. But just because the kids aren't getting sick doesn't mean that they're not still carrying some of that pathogen and doesn't mean that they're not going to get, be getting the adults in the building sick. Number one priority as we prepare contingency plans for the fall needs to be what we do when teachers need to be out. And I think that that really means that we need to start hiring and training substitutes now. We need to consider what we can do to increase the pay or benefits for those substitutes. And we need to prepare for blended learning, which may include at least some minor, maybe more than minor, professional development to help teachers prepare for blended learning platforms when we return to school in the fall for the 2020-2021 school year. This is not a problem that's going to go away, and if we're smart, we're going to start handling some of the obvious logistics now. For me, number one is going to be substitutes and how to create consistency within the classes. 